0: Um, Acts chapter 1, this is uh, really week 2. Of what's likely going to be a two-year sermon series for us as we take our time and work straight through the book of Acts. Uh, Last week was our introductory message, and so if you weren't here last week or if you didn't have a chance to catch it last week, please go back and listen to the introductory sermon from last week. Really covered the whole book of Acts and really gave a high-level, important overview that would be good for you to, to hear now that we're starting to get into the details. But What I wanted to do today is just start out by a couple very basic reminders that we covered last week. First of all, last week we covered that the book of Acts is written by a man named Luke. And the Bible teaches us some important things about this man, Luke. Uh, We start to learn that Luke uh, was a physician. Uh, Colossians chapter 4 tells us that Luke was a doctor. Uh, Colossians 4 verse 14 also uh, tells us that Luke was not a Jew, Um, which means that he's actually the only non-Jewish writer of Scripture that we have in the Bible. Um, Luke eventually came to know the Apostle Paul. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 11 tells us that. And uh, sometimes Luke would travel with the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys, taking the gospel to the nations. And so we're going to see as we get into the book of Acts that at first Luke kind of writes as a third, from a third-person point of view, getting stories and you know, words from other people writing it out. But then once we get into Acts 16, he starts to write from a first-person point of view where he starts to use words like we and us. And you can tell Luke actually went with Paul on some of his missionary journeys. So we need to remember that Acts was written by Luke. And the second basic reminder we need is that although Acts was written by Luke, we need to remember Acts is not Luke's first book. Um, The Gospel of Luke is actually the first book from Luke that we have in the scripture, and Acts is its sequel. Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Both Luke and Acts were written to um, someone named Theophilus. Luke was written to provide an account of the ministry that Jesus began. Acts is written to uh, provide an account of the ministry Jesus continues. Luke shares with us what Jesus did before his ascension. Um Acts tells us what happened with the apostles after Jesus' ascension. Luke tells us really um, about Jesus commanding his disciples and teaching them through the Holy Spirit. Uh, But Acts tells us about Jesus filling them and empowering them with the Holy Spirit. So Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And here's part of what just kind of stood out to me. Part of why I want to reiterate Luke's authorship to you guys today is this, I want our church to be full of people who are confident in the Bible. I want you to be confident when you read the scriptures. And here's what you, why, why I'm mentioning Luke's authorship to you. It's because when you read the scriptures, you're, you're not just talking to some guy who lived you know, hundreds of years after Jesus' life and just said, ah, oh, I think I'll just write some story. I think I'll just write some things down about the rumors about Jesus that I've heard, and I'll just write some scripture today. Right? Like That's not Luke. Luke was sent out by someone named Theophilus to write a good record. So we've got to imagine Luke, you know, not one of the 12 apostles, but him going and interviewing the 12 apostles and people who were in and around the life and ministry of Jesus. And he's taking an orderly record. He's writing these things down and he even travels with Paul sometimes and writes down his firsthand experiences. Part of why I want you to understand that is because when we read the book of Luke, we are reading the account of someone who had primary sources, right? Someone who had primary sources. So church family, we can be confident in the trustworthiness of our Bible. We want to be a church that helps people know Christ and make him known. And part of the way that we know Christ is knowing him through the scriptures. We want to know him biblically. We can be confident in our Bible. So as we approach God's word today in Acts chapter 1, here's how we're going to do it. I want us to work our way straight from verse 1 down through verse 11. We're going to uh, really do some teaching along the way, some personal application along the way. And at the end, we're just going to hit several major takeaways for us from today's text. And really what I hope, I hope that today, you know, I hope that you're encouraged to live as Christ's witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit until Christ returns, or until he calls us home. So we'll see what the Lord has for us today. All right, so we all know that Luke wrote his gospel about the life and times of Jesus. Acts, we hear more about what happened after um, Luke's account, gospel account ended. So let's look at Acts chapter one, verses one through three. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the first day after he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So right away, here's what I want you to notice. It says that Jesus presented himself um, alive after his suffering to his disciples by many proofs. The King James Version of Scripture, I like the way it says it. It says that he presented himself to them in many infallible proofs. Uh, It means that these proofs uh, of Jesus kind of appearing to them, it means that they're verifiable, uh, that they're unmistakable. And it says here that Jesus presented himself to his disciples alive. Well, remember, um, Acts is the follow-on, it's the sequel to Luke. The last chapter in the book of Luke is Luke chapter 24, Well, you don't have to turn there, but if you know the the last chapter in, in Luke, chapter 24, how does it end? It ends with Jesus' resurrection from death, but it doesn't stop there. It continues to talk about his appearances to his disciples and how on the road to Emmaus, Jesus revealed himself to some of his followers and he talked with them along the way. And then at the end of Luke... Chapter 24, In verses 33 through 43, we get some really important information that kind of sets up the book of Acts. And so I just want to read this to us from Luke 24, verse 33 through 34. It says this. It says, "And they this is now talking about the disciples that Jesus met with on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11, Jesus' apostles, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, "The Lord has risen indeed." And has has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road. And how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And uh, as they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace to you. Which to me, like I don't know about you. But like what if that was us? This, hey guys, peace. Like here I am. I would be totally freaked out, right? I think we all probably would be. Verse 37. um, But they were startled. Understandably, and they were frightened, Um, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, "Why are you troubled? And why do why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. that uh, That it is I touch. um, That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they uh, still disbelieved for joy, right? They were they just couldn't believe it. They were marveling. And he said to them have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Right? Like why, why these details about the fish and the eating and stuff? Here's why. Because, uh, you know, they, they saw, they heard, they touched. Jesus was appearing to them in many proofs. The way that um, acts describes it, later the apostle paul in act in first uh, corinthians 15 would write that jesus didn't just appear to his disciples but he appeared to 500 witnesses who were also alive when paul wrote the book of first corinthians so jesus is appearing by many proofs he, he's eating with them they're touching him they're they like thomas would touch his you know uh, the hole in his side and the holes in his hands you know and that you know imagine the disciples all being there with Jesus during this time, John being one of the disciples who was there, you can imagine why John would later write in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-3, through 3, he would write these words, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, the life was made manifest and we have seen it, and that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Right? This is why these guys would say and write the things that they did. It's because the resurrected Christ had appeared to them with many proofs. Many proofs. Now, that was Luke, but on to our passage in Acts. Verse 3 says he appeared to his disciples for 40 days. Verse 4 says, and while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here's what I want you to notice in these verses. In verse 4, Jesus contrasts the baptism with the Spirit with the baptism of John, baptism in water. And I didn't I didn't know if I should do this in the, you know, kind of this early sermon, but I decided to do it. The book of Acts talks a lot about baptism. It talks a lot about baptism in the spirit. It talks a lot about the baptism of John. I just said, all right, this early sermon, we're just going to nail these two things down so we understand the differences between water baptism by John and Holy Spirit baptism that Jesus sent. So we're just going to talk for a minute about baptism, understanding it rightly so we're not confused as we read the rest of the book of Acts. All right, so what was John's baptism? How are we to understand John's baptism? First of all, we have to understand when Jesus talks about the baptism of John, he's not talking about John the disciple. He's talking about John the Baptist, all right? John the Baptist went around in the time of Jesus baptizing people with water, baptizing them in water. And even John himself understood that his baptism in water was different than Jesus's baptism in the Holy Spirit. If you read Matthew chapter three, verse 11, uh, John the Baptist said, I have baptized you with water, but he, right, the Messiah, the one who is coming, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John baptized people in water. Now, most of the people that John baptized in water, you guys, you got to understand this, they were Jews. And this, you know, why is it such a big deal that we call this guy John the Baptist? Why is he getting this kind of a reputation for being a baptizer. Um, It's because it would have been a really big deal in that culture of that day for Jews to be baptized, immersed in water by uh, this man, John. It was normal, here's what was normal. It was normal for non-Jews, like Gentile converts who wanted to become Jews. It was normal for them to be baptized in water as part of their ritual to kind of... um, You know, really become a proselyte, to become a convert into Judaism. But it wasn't normal for Jews to be baptized, as John said, for repentance. Yes, there were some ritual washings that the Jewish priests would do before they went into the temple to make sacrifices on behalf of the people, but that was mainly for the Jewish priests, not necessarily for the whole community. And there were even some ritual washings called mikvahs that sometimes Jewish people would do before they went into the temple, but they were mainly for ritual cleansing, not for repentance from sin. So when John the Baptist was out preaching, calling people to be baptized for repentance because of their repentance, that would have been... Different than what was normal in the Jewish community, and it would have stood out, right? When these Jewish people said, oh, we are God's people, yet we still need forgiveness from our sin. We need to get right with God before the Messiah shows up. So we got to understand the baptism of John was a person's immersion in water done by a man for the purpose of repentance. That's John's baptism. And that's going to become important as we read through the book of Acts. But that's different than Holy Spirit baptism. So what is Spirit baptism? What's, how do we understand the baptism of the Spirit? First of all, we need to remember the basics about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, right? There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. That's the teaching of Scripture. And as we will see in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit... Uh, starts to come and take residence inside of people, inside of individuals, right? And so that concept alone was so new and so different, right? We live in the church age when it's normal. When you become a Christian, it's common for us to understand the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. But for the first century, that was different, right? The Holy Spirit had only come upon people temporarily, uh, empowered them for things temporarily, not sealed them permanently. Uh, So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When God takes up residence inside of you. Here's how we can summarize it. The baptism of the Spirit is when a person is indwelt with God's Spirit. It's done by God for the purpose of union with Christ and the church. Okay, so... Let me just make some clear contrasts between water baptism by John and Jesus' baptism in the Spirit. In John's baptism by water, a person is immersed in water. In Jesus' baptism with the Spirit, a person becomes indwelt with the Holy Spirit. In John's baptism by water, the baptizing is done by a man. In Jesus' baptism by the Spirit, the baptizing is done by God himself. In John's baptism by water, the purpose is for repentance from sin. In Jesus' baptism with the Holy Spirit, the purpose is for union with Christ and the church. We, we, when we're baptized in water, right, we, we go down into the water saying we, we identify that we are sharing in Christ's death. And we are raised to newness of life. When you believe upon Christ for salvation, that's when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It happens at the moment when you believe. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says this. For we were all all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So I want you to understand this. We were all, all Christians, Jews, Gentiles, every believer, they're all baptized into the spirit. Uh, The reason why I'm saying that is because... um, It's not like there are some people who are Christians, but aren't yet baptized in the spirit. We've got to understand that there aren't some believers with the spirit and then some believers without the spirit. Romans eight verse nine says, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, you do not belong to him. Romans eight, nine says, right? So we've got to get this. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not Christ's. got you guys with me on this? If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not Christ. But the converse, therefore, is also true. If you do belong to Christ, then you do have his Spirit. So when you believe, the Lord baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. And after you believe, a man can baptize you in water. right? Which is important because last Sunday, we had... Three baptisms where people were baptized in water. And when those people went down into the baptism waters, they did not do so in order to be saved and then receive the Holy Spirit. They did so to show the world they were already saved and had already received the baptism of the Spirit. There's a difference between baptism in water and baptism in the Spirit. And again, this is going to become important as we go through the book of Acts. So here in Acts, Jesus told his disciples that they would be baptized in the Spirit. But he said to them that they had to stay in Jerusalem and do what? Wait. Right? Verse 4, if we go back to the book of Acts, Jesus says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise from the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here Jesus tells his disciples to wait, which I think is interesting because He had previously given them the Great Commission, right? He told them to go. Now he's saying, wait. Why would Jesus say, go into all the nations, but now say, wait? Here's why. Because he, Jesus, knew, and we should know now, we can't truly make disciples of the nations without the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot make disciples uh, of Jesus Christ, true disciples, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, who can bring a sinner to repentance? The Holy Spirit. Who can open up somebody's spiritually blind eyes? Only the Holy Spirit. Who can equip us with the spiritual gifts, the words that we need, the truth to believe, the the needs of the moment to disciple people? Who can equip us with all of that? Only the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand, Jesus not only gives us and his disciples the mission, he gives us the Holy Spirit, which gives us the power to carry out the mission. So if you're saved, you need to know this, you are empowered with the Holy Spirit to join God in his disciple-making mission. Verse six, Jesus told them they would receive the promise of the baptism of the spirit. And the next thing that they do in uh, verse six is that they they ask this question, which kind of seems out of place at first. Verse six says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Why would they ask this question? Jesus just talked to them about receiving the Holy Spirit, baptizing, being baptized in the Spirit. Now they say, will you at this time restore the, the kingdom to Israel? Why would they ask that? It seems out of place at first. But again, if you put yourself in the mind of a first century Jew who knew the Old Testament and knew the words of the prophets, you need to know this. The Old Testament prophets frequently spoke about how The outpouring of the Spirit of God would also um, be tied to the restoration uh, of Israel. Okay, so Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about this. One of the chapters in Isaiah talks about this. I can't remember which one. Um, But specifically, Joel chapter 2 and chapter 3 talks about this. In Joel 2, it talks about how God is going to pour out his spirit, prophesying, saying, hey, one day God's going to pour out his spirit on all people. And we're in Acts chapter 1 right now, but we're going to get into Acts chapter 2 where Peter preaches a sermon. And in that sermon, Peter actually references back to Joel's prophecy. But in Joel chapter 2, it talks about how God is going to pour his spirit out on all people. Then in Joel 3, it says, For behold, in those days and at that time, um, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. So the disciples think that the restoration of Israel is going to happen at the exact moment that Jesus pours out his spirit on men. And so that's why they ask the question about the restoration of the kingdom. Um, Their question seems to be fixed on the timing. Jesus, are you going to do it now? But Jesus answers their question in an interesting way in verse 7. In verse 7, Jesus says to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Right? The disciples wanted to know when the kingdom would come. And Jesus says it's not for you to know. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36? Jesus says, No man knows the day or the hour. Right? We don't know. The disciples were focused on the timing. Isn't it like to me, I just, I find myself relating with the disciples so much. Like um, we can look at what's going on in our world right now and we can get fixated on the timing of Christ's kingdom and when he's going to come and when he's going to establish everything and make things right, right? We can get fascinated and fixated on when Christ will return, but here's what we've got to understand. Jesus' response to the disciples isn't so much concerned about when that will happen, but he is concerned about what we will be doing when it happens. This is why he says what he says in verse 8: But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, It's not for you to know the times and the seasons. But until then, until that day comes, I want you to be my witnesses. The word witness in the original Greek language is the word martus. It has to do with um, kind of being a legal witness who saw something and then shares what they saw they're ready to declare it. So that's what a witness is. They see and they share. Jesus' disciples saw him and they were sharing his work. And Jesus says his disciples will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that they can now share what they saw, right? They're going to share what they've seen. And where did Jesus say that they were going to be his disciples? Where, where they were going to be his witnesses? He said they're going to be his witnesses in Judea, In Jerusalem and then in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Which, by the way, if you weren't here last Sunday, we said that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is really kind of Jesus uh, giving us an outline for the story of the book of Acts. Again, chapters 1 through 7 are all about Jesus and his disciples' witness in Jerusalem Chapters 8 through 12 are about their their witness in Judea and Samaria. and chapter 13 through 28, they go out to the rest of the Roman Empire. And we said that the story of the witnesses isn't over. It, It continues to this day as we now continue to take the gospel out from where we are now in these ongoing circles out to the rest of the world. But we've got to remember, the disciples had just asked Jesus if he would restore the kingdom to Israel now. And they, were, they misunderstood, right? The, the disciples clearly misunderstood some of the teaching that Jesus had given them about the kingdom and when it was going to happen. The disciples thought the kingdom was going to be established immediately. Jesus intended to uh, invoke his, bring his kingdom about gradually. The disciples thought it would be a kingdom that was only for Israel. Jesus intended it to reach all the nations, right? Which, hey, there's not a place on the global map about, uh, as we're, in the United States, we're about as far away from Jerusalem right, as you can get. We are the ends of the earth. So praise the Lord that, you know, the gospel has come all the way here. But the disciples misunderstood some things that Jesus was teaching. Which, I point that out because, isn't it true, you guys, you can walk with Jesus for a long time and still misunderstand some things, can't you? All right, we all can. You can still get confused by scripture. Sometimes you'll still have wrong answers, but I want you to take encouragement with this, right? Jesus knew that his disciples were gonna get things wrong. Jesus knew that they were gonna misunderstand and it did not change his love for them. He still called them, he still commissioned them, he still cared for them and sent them out. And I wanna tell you right now, you may feel sometimes like you are a dumb Christian. (laughs) You may feel like, my goodness, how have I got all these things wrong? I want you to know something, your savior loves you. He cares for you. He wants to use you to move the gospel forward. The disciples misunderstood. They thought that his kingdom would be established for Israel only, but his kingdom wouldn't be for some people. His kingdom would be for all people. So the gospel is for every tribe, every tongue. The message of the gospel is for every nation. It wasn't just for the Jews. And let me say this, it's not just for Americans, right? The kingdom of Christ is for all people. So Jesus' disciples are to be his witnesses to all the people of the earth. And when they had said these things, verse 9 says. Verse 9, when he had said these things, they were looking on and he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Man, what a a moment that would have been, huh? Imagine being there for that. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, jaw dropped, eyes up. Is he coming back? Two men stood by them in white robes, and they said, men of Galilee, right? hey, you disciples, right? You guys are from Galilee. It says, you, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So these angels, you know, like, at least likely angels, um, he says, you know, Jesus, they say to the disciples, Jesus went away in a cloud. He's going to come back in a cloud. And let me just encourage you with God's word when it comes to the return of Christ, right? The scripture tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Revelation chapter one, verse seven says this, behold, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, him, even so, amen. Church family, he's gonna come again the same way he left. Just like the disciples saw him go, he's gonna come in the clouds and what did the angels say to them? Hey, why do you stand here? And I think this is such a situation we can find ourselves in. We live in the time between Christ's ascension and his return. And, you know, we can get so fixated on gazing in the clouds. Like, oh, we can be thinking of heaven and Christ's return. And and those things are good things to be thinking about. But listen, let's not forget the mission. The disciples were called to be his witnesses. The Lord uh, has placed us on this earth to do the same thing, to be his witnesses And so the Lord, it's like the Lord might be saying to you and definitely saying to me now, like, don't, don't stand here too long. I've sent you there. (laughs) Don't just gaze up. I want you to go out. Now that you've got a glimpse of heaven, I want you to be my witnesses in the earth, right? So we are to live as Christ's witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit until Christ returns. That's the big takeaway from Acts chapter one, verses one through 11. What are the big takeaways for us? Here's the first one. Believe in the resurrected Christ. Believe in the resurrected Christ. He has appeared and he has proved himself over and over. He has appeared with many proofs. The eyewitnesses and the disciples touched, saw, and felt him. And I want you to know that if you're here today and you find yourself struggling with doubts, you wonder, is this real? First of all, I want you to know you're welcome here. Like We want to be a church that is open to those who are doubting and welcoming. But I believe that if you're honest with the Lord about your doubts, I believe that he will reveal himself to you with many proofs. Believe in the resurrected Christ. Second, for those of us who have believed, hey, listen, don't be afraid of the baptism of the Spirit. Don't be afraid of the baptism of the Spirit. That's our second big takeaway. You know, if, if you are saved, the baptism of the Spirit has happened to you. Right? So, And it must happen to us because we can't fulfill our disciple-making mission without the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be a church that as we walk through the book of Acts, we learn to welcome the Holy Spirit. Yes, we believe the Holy Spirit is present. But sometimes we get a little nervous, right? I don't know about you, but I want to welcome God's work through the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to be a church that increases in prayer, increases on our desire to see the Spirit move in power. Takeaway number three. As we wait for Christ's return, let's get going on the disciple making mission. Let's get going on the disciple making mission. Each of us, church family, if you're a disciple, you've got your marching orders, you've got your mission. You're here to make disciples. So we are to be pouring out to other people. This is is why we have growth groups, this is why we have classes, this is why we have women's Bible fellowship, many other ways where we connect and grow. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are to be pouring your life into other people. How are you doing it? How are you involved? Not just here and near, but also everywhere. Jesus says, I want to make my disciples, my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. So as we go through the book of Acts for the next two years, you're going to see an increase. Uh, You're going to hear more and more about our involvement internationally and outreach and missions, both locally and internationally. And by God's grace, I hope that the Lord will use us to be a part of reaching a people group in this world who is unreached they've never heard of the name of Jesus Christ. What a great privilege for us to be part of that. Let's live as Christ's witnesses in the power of of the Holy Spirit until Christ returns. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you for this kind of introductory passage um, that reveals to us much of your character, that, that you are patient with people who doubt and that you are kind to reveal yourself to those who are wondering if you're real. Lord, if there are people in our church today who are struggling with doubts and, and um, fears or questions about your reality, would you reveal yourself to them, Lord? And I pray that you would let us be a church that welcomes the doubters. I ask, Lord, I thank you that you are, you have revealed yourself in your word here as God, the Holy Spirit, living within your people, empowering us for the mission. Lord, I pray that you'd make us a church that welcomes the work of your spirit. And Lord, I want to ask you to move in power, that we would see people's lives radically changed and touched. Lord, and not just other people, it's, change us. Each and every one of us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, even right now as I pray, Lord, would you touch some people's hearts, that their hearts would be open to what you have for them. Lord, I pray that we would latch on to our disciple-making mission, that we would take serious the call to make disciples. Um, Lord, that you would let each of us search our hearts and find the ways that you want us involved in real disciple-making efforts, whether they're here Um, near or everywhere. We want to help the world know you. Lord, use our church to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.